for most New Yorkers, the day-to-day ramifications of COVID-19 are in their rearview mirror. But for some, there continue to be lingering, sometimes debilitating reminders of the virus in the form of long COVID, which takes a variety of forms and has evaded quick and comprehensive treatment from the public health community. To discuss the remnant of the pandemic, we're joined by David Sandman, president and CEO of the New York Health Foundation, a private organization working to improve the health of New Yorkers with a focus on people who have been historically marginalized. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks for having me. So back in September, you wrote a blog about the persistence of long COVID, the catch-all description for symptoms from the virus that present about a month after infection, and have been tough for the medical community to adequately wrap its arms around. What made you want to highlight this issue? Well, as much as we all want this pandemic to be over, it's far from over. And of course, right now, you know, we are seeing a bit of an uptick again in, in new COVID cases. I wrote the piece because, well, for many of us, you know, the worst of the pandemic was definitely behind us. Uh, It didn't go away for many people, people who are said to suffer from long COVID. Uh, Long COVID um, is generally defined as when you uh, continue to have symptoms or develop symptoms at least four weeks after your initial infection. And, And the results of long COVID it can be quite debilitating for the person who has it. Do you think the public health community has a good sense of the proliferation of long COVID or the different ways in which it can manifest? Well, I mean, we have we have some reasonable estimates about how prevalent it is. Um, you know, New York State has had a 7.5 million confirmed cases of COVID in total. And federal data show us that about 16% of adults in New York have ever experienced long COVID. That's nearly 1 million adult New Yorkers. That's a lot of people who have grappled with long COVID or are still grappling with long COVID. And if anything, because of the still evolving definitions, those numbers are probably an undercount. So we have a reasonable handle on how common long COVID is, you know, but but the science around long COVID is is very much still evolving with a brand new phenomenon. Well, is it safe to assume that one of the challenges in adequately assessing the number of cases is the different way in which symptoms can present? Because it's not like there's a clear cut example of what long COVID looks like, right? That's right. You know, the usual definition, you know, is symptoms that continue or develop after four weeks, but that's not even an agreed upon standard definition, you know, among the scientific community and among the health insurance community. There's a long list of symptoms that can be associated with long COVID, and you don't want to have them. They can range from fatigue to brain fog, difficulties concentrating or remembering things, chronic cough other respiratory problems, fever and joint pain and heart problems. So it's a very broad, you know, list of symptoms and health problems that can result from long COVID, you know, and that makes it hard to diagnose and to treat in a very uniform way. You mentioned health insurance. What does a definition for the sense of health insurance have to do with this issue? And why does that matter? If there was a standard definition and a diagnosis, then there's a billing code that providers can use for reimbursement, and it would be a cleaner and neater process. 
but we're not there yet. So instead you would be diagnosed and providers would bill for associated conditions like a respiratory infection or cognitive problems and so on. But we don't have a neat and clean health insurance definition and billing for long COVID yet. Why does that matter, say, to the average New Yorker who might be dealing with long COVID? As long as someone can say, I'm treating a respiratory illness or I'm treating some sort of brain condition, does it matter what it's labeled as? Probably matters a little bit less to the patient, but it matters more to providers You know, who still need a lot of education on how do they identify long COVID when they see it? What do they need to diagnose it officially? You know, should they be billing and saying this patient has long COVID? So it's probably more relevant on the provider side, you know, but how the condition is ultimately defined and what gets paid for will, of course, circle back and have an effect on patients too. Well, thinking about the response from providers, are there any programs or initiatives in response to long COVID that are encouraging from your perspective in terms of proactive or meaningful treatment of long COVID? There's quite a few, I'm happy to say. In New York City, Health and Hospitals, which is the public health system in New York, they have something called the Aftercare Resource Center, which provides long COVID patients with very specialized information and supports as they grapple with their disease and symptoms. Westchester Medical Center similarly can pair long COVID patients with a broad set of specialists who can treat them in a holistic way. Uh, The University of Buffalo just opened the first long COVID center in Western New York, and they're doing some things like experimenting with lithium as a possible treatment for long COVID. You know, so there are a lot of promising things. It's a it's a very uh, mysterious and evolving condition, but there are efforts all across the state that are coming together to try to better understand it and meet patients' needs. Patients have to be in the forefront of all of this, especially since it is a mystery. It's never been more important to listen to patients themselves, understand what they're experiencing, and help let their voices drive the agenda because long COVID patients often feel ignored or dismissed or trivialized by healthcare providers who just may not have a good enough understanding of the disease yet. Does it seem like these efforts are coordinated in any meaningful way or are all of these good local programs kind of siloed from each other? You know, there's always room for improvement. Our state health department also has a resource page for people who are dealing with long COVID. The state has had a special convening symposium on long COVID that did bring together multiple providers, patient advocates, scientists, and researchers. There is some level of communication and coordination, which we really need because nobody is a full expert on this yet, but there's always room to improve on that score as well. If you were the state COVID czar or some other position that had the ability to pull a lot of strings and move money around, what would you be doing differently or expanding upon in terms of responding to long COVID? I would be supporting patient advocacy. It's not unreminiscent 
of maybe 30 years or so ago when HIV arrived on the scene. It's a very mysterious illness, very, very scary illness. We just didn't know much about the science of HIV either, but patients, you know, activated themselves and advocated for themselves, you know, to really um, have a central voice in driving the research and treatment agenda for themselves. And I think the same is absolutely needed and true here on long COVID. And I would invest in provider education. You know, you see that the larger places like the University of Buffalo or the big, big hospital systems in New York City, relatively, they've seen a lot of long COVID cases, maybe not a lot, but relative to others, they've seen a lot. And so they're developing more expertise. But for smaller providers who are out there on their own, maybe in a rural area, maybe not as connected to an academic medical center, they haven't seen so many long COVID cases. And so they have even more difficulty knowing how to diagnose it and how to connect their patient with treatment. Supporting patient advocacy and supporting provider education would be among my priorities. Well, we've been speaking with David Sandman. He's the president and CEO of the New York Health Foundation. Thanks so much for making the time, David. I appreciate it. Support for Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org.